0: Welcome to The Story Talks Back. Almost everything that we remember, think about, or imagine is a story. Stories entertain us, inform us, and even define us. They have upsides, and they have downsides. This podcast explores the power of story in every aspect of our lives. I'm Dave Stanton. Thank you for joining us. 1917, Ruth Lee Schechter was an American poet, editor, teacher, and activist. Raised in the Bronx, she studied with Louise Bogan and published ten volumes of candid, meticulously crafted verse. In the 1960s, she became active in the women's rights and anti-Vietnam War movements, taking part in benefit readings and protests. After moving north to Croton-on-Hudson, New York, She founded the Croton Review and the Croton Council on the Arts, winning numerous grants and establishing the review as a presence on the literary scene. Schechter was also a pioneer in poetry therapy, the use of verse writing to explore and heal emotional trauma. With her husband, Jerry, she raised two boys, Daniel, now deceased, and William, and was grandmother to Ethan, Jamie, and Sarah. Schechter died in 1989 at age 72. Okay, well, it's great to welcome everybody to this remembrance and celebration of Ruth Lisa Schechter. Uh, And I'm here with a really wonderful group of people who uh, knew her very well. Um, And I want to introduce them from the lower right, Bill Schechter, younger son of Ruth and Jerry Schechter, taught history in the Massachusetts public school system for 35 years. He's the author of Bringing History Home, A Classroom Teacher's Quest to Make the Past Matter. Maria Mazziotti gillen a longtime friend and colleague of Ruth's, has published more than 20 books on or about poetry. Her collection, All That Lies Between Us, won an American Book Award in 2008. She's also the founder and executive director of the Poetry Center at Passaic County Community College in Patterson, New Jersey. And she edits the Patterson Literary Review. She's also a gifted visual artist whose watercolor paintings and collages have been widely praised. And Maureen Seaton, a friend and student of Ruth's has written or co-authored over 20 poetry collections. She won a Lambda Literary Award for her memoir, Sex Talks to Girls, and is a professor of English and creative writing at the University of Miami in Coral Gables. So thank you all for joining us. This is really a wonderful group of people and friends. And uh, this is a great thing for me and for Ruth, I think. Thank you.
1: Thank you for organizing. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So to make sure that Ruth has a, has a clear say in this uh, session, um, I thought I would share a video of her, which is of her reading at the 1987 uh, New York Book Fair, and I actually was in the room at this reading. I'm not sure if either of you were, or any of you were. I don't think so. Um, but this is by Ten Penny Players. Uh, Richard Spiegel has given us permission to include this in the in the uh, tribute, so I'm going to play this now.
2: called marriage. If truth be known, dear Austin, I married my muse. A paradoxical blessing, I was strange, even to myself. I spoke through my life. A loaded gun that stood like a riddling stanza, bullet after bullet, my letter to the world released without a shot in Amherst. I buried each spring in deeper images of rage, a crucifix locked between gender and genre, a way of being the way I was, a perverse Cinderella in 19th century America. Rumors about my death or madness, were invented in 1856.
3: My mind
2: never weakened, as myths declare. I chose the underground to marry my youth. I withdrew to seek my freedom. My love and I were often lost in thorns and vines, twisted in obscure metaphor. At 26, I was still the infant child flying with birds, and saw my future, some odd zero, blurred in the sky. I could not stop for death, nor could I stop then, for his requirement, yet the funeral persisted in my brain. I left my child's body, not easily, not easily, to liberate the woman, no more to hide and survive many deaths. My life alone loaded gone, shot out its poems in mysteries of solitude. I serve within my own division. Wow.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it's such energy.
0: Uh, so, Bill, I thought maybe uh, as a good starting point, you could um, just give us the background on your mom. I know you wrote a really beautiful little essay on essay sort of story about her childhood.
4: Okay, and stop, if I go on too long, just stop, because I know our time is limited. Um, just watching that piece, one reaction immediately was, and I'll go into her background, um, She didn't actually, uh, her diction as a mother was quite different. Um, You know, my mother had a theatrical side to her uh, before she became a poet. I'll talk about that a little bit, but um, well, she really declaimed. Um, It was kind of amazing to see her reinvent herself on uh, the stage of whatever club she was reading a poem in. And uh, the other immediate reaction I had was, oh, God, I wish he hadn't smoked. (laughs) Uh, You know, my family had a terrible uh, relationship with smoking, and it took a terrible toll. Anyway, uh, the consciousness that she grew up with, uh, the 30s and 40s, is not the consciousness about health that, you know, we have today. So anyway, my mother was uh, the daughter of an immigrant woman who was barely literate in any language. I mean, she could speak uh, two languages, three languages, um, my grandmother, uh, but she was not a learned, uh, educated person. Uh, Her father, I believe, was also uh, an immigrant but he played almost no role in her life. Um, he was uh, not a very responsible person, came home one day to find my grandmother had packed his bags and he, was, he basically w- w- left the home and left my mother's life uh, only to surface maybe 30 years later, very, very briefly. Uh, so my mother was an only child who was also the child of a single mother. Uh, She came of age uh, during the Great Depression. She was born in 1917. So uh, when she was in high school, that would be right in the middle of the Great Depression. And as a result, she worked her entire life. She worked, uh, she did graduate from uh, James Monroe High School, a commercial course which probably uh, was a good investment in terms of getting jobs as a, a typist um, in law offices and later in uh, work to whole life in hospitals as a secretary, you know, writing poems, hiding them under her desk blotter. Um, so she never had the opportunity to go to college. Um, neither uh, did my father my his younger brother was uh, the only person in our family who went to college, CCNY, before my brother and I went to college. So um, my mother and father were largely self-educated. Uh, that is to say, they came from, while my grandmother was not literate, the community they were a part of was very literate Jewish working-class community. Um, My mother had a friend uh, in the law office in which she worked in the Bronx. And that's um, my my grandmother originally emigrated to Boston because that's where her brother lived. And that's where she got married. But uh, they later moved to New York City to the Bronx. My mother grew up behind the Lowy's Paradise Theater. near Fordham Road in the Bronx, if you're familiar with that area. And um, she uh, had this friend in the law office uh, who somehow connected my mother and father. My father was a real radical and was a member of the uh, Young Socialist League and the Workman's Circle. And he brought my mother into that world, although... My mother definitely had political concerns. She was not a um, a, a '30s revolutionary, so to speak. Uh, and they um, they got married in 1939, um, despite the best efforts of my grandmother to uh, prevent my father from dating her, stuffing the bell bottom, the uh, bell button, in downstairs in the apartment. <laughs> Uh, They they had a torrid courtship and they got married. And then my brother was born 1942. Uh, At a certain point, my father went into the army, uh, came out in the uh, late 40s. I was born 1946. Um, And during that period, I think my mother, uh, I, I should backtrack one second um, she, she always had an interest in books and writing, and in fact, I'm going to hold up here a medal that she won at, a, I think, P.S. 10. Uh, I don't think she was a high school student yet. Um, on, she wrote an essay on patriotism, uh, beautiful handwriting, <laughs> and I never really examined the medal before today, and it says, um, one flag, one country the Loyalty League. This was a real right-wing anti-immigrant organization. I'm sure my mother didn't know and my grandmother didn't know. And the teacher just encouraged all the kids to write an essay and so on. So, um, proud possession. And, um, so, so she did have that background. She loved to escape into books and, uh, you know, old English poetry and mythologies and, uh, enjoyed writing clearly. Um, There's a picture of her, I I didn't know how to introduce media into this, but um, the large picture of her PS 10, a graduation photo, all the girls are sitting in tears and they're all looking straight ahead like wooden figures. And my mother is holding the hand in maybe the third row of what had to be the most bookish looking girl in the uh, graduating class. And unlike everybody else who's seated, looking straight at the camera, my mother's body is kind of twisted and holding this girl's hand and at the edge of her seat and just clearly excited to move into the next stage of life. Um, In terms of my mother's poetry, I know she wrote some poems, uh, pretty, literal poems, kind of social realistic poems for our cooperative uh, housing project newsletter in the late forties. At some point in the forties, there was a terrible mine disaster. And my mother wrote a poem about that. And, you know, she'd write a few other, she wrote a few other poems and mainly she'd write little ditties on your birthday card or the cards of friends when they had a birthday, Uh, nothing too serious. Um by, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll pretty much stop after this. And if people have questions, I'll be happy to answer them. But I would say, and by the way, she was a wonderful mother, uh, very attentive. Little did I know she hated cooking, um, <laughs> I loved her little meatballs and spaghetti. Um, And, you know, she would come home uh, after a day's work and uh, make dinner for us and take care of us and hold our hands when we were sick. And in those days, you know, I became very close to my father the last 30 years of his life. But um, at that time, the 40s and 50s, fathers were just kind of different than they they're expected to be today. You know, he was more distant. He was exhausted from work, from the garment shops, working uh, six days a week. Uh, My mother was pretty much in charge of the household. My father would occasionally fix things, quickly for neighbors, more slowly for us. My mother would have to get after him. But I would say, uh, late 50s, Early '60s, my mother really went through a personal crisis. Uh, started seeing a therapist. Was very depressed. Um, and and I'm convinced now, looking back on this, um, that a big part of the problem is that the women's movement wouldn't come until 1970. And she was in her own way grappling with the problem, which was a very personal problem at the time. It didn't seem like a collective problem, a problem of social dimensions. I'm the mother of two wonderful boys. My husband's a decent man. Why aren't I happy? Why am I depressed? Why am I really sad? Mm -hmm. Uh, And... It just wasn't enough for her because she had this creative energy inside of her that demanded expression.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: And when she began demanding slowly through the 60s, uh, kind of more space and more freedom of going downtown to uh, either attend classes or poetry readings, you know, created a tension in my parents' relationship because my father took it personally, you know, Why aren't I enough? Mm -hmm. Um, If it was 1970, everybody would understand what the problem was. I mean, we're still grappling with this issue, but, you know, I think women have uh, much more freedom and much more of an expectation that they have a right to uh, develop their creative potential. But back then it was a, she was waging a tremendous struggle Mm -hmm. um, uh, that, you know, I could really feel the tension in the house as, as much as I tried to support her. Um, you know, I was dealing with my own adolescent high school world. Um, and she was just desperate, hungry for this kind of freedom. Um, uh, then with, uh, the Vietnam war, she became involved in, uh, you know, artists against the war and, uh, organizing poetry, readings against the war. Um, and there was some, now some context for um, this creative expression. We lived in a progressive Jewish community, uh, housing, cooperative housing project. But I think uh, most of the women in the community with some exceptions were conventional Jewish housewives. Uh, in fact, there was one woman who, I guess, for my mother, really epitomized conventionality. Uh, her name was Ida Jacobson, and whenever my parents would have a fight, you know, my mother would say to my father, "You should have men- You should have married Ida Jacobson." You know, uh, you know, and, and that was sometimes it evoked a laugh and sometimes it just evoked a fight Um, because this was a world that my father could not enter. Uh, My father didn't like it when people closed doors Um, and my mother really needed space. And we moved to another apartment in the Amalgamated where she could actually have a a little bit of a study, but he kind of resented that. But I'll just end by saying this uh, because uh, you all knew her as poets I knew her as my mother, that my mother, with her incredible energy, um, always busy, always involved in something, really launched three people into their own creative orbits. Um, My brother um, just to give put a little flesh on that theatricality my mother was very active in our community working in the nursery school uh, and she participated in the production of Shalom Aleichem plays uh, all women casts uh, all the women none of the wa- the women could speak Yiddish but none of them could read Yiddish you know transliterated scripts they would have to Um, memorize. And my mother would be out there on the stage singing and whatever. So when I saw that little clip, you know, I know it didn't just start at that reading uh, that she, she was, she enjoyed performance before that, but she launched my brother uh, probably who uh, really assimilated a lot of her uh, dynamic energy, um, was very project oriented as was uh, my mother. Um, to the to the day my brother died, and still today for me, our walls look the same as the walls of her study. You know, we have posters up and all kinds of pictures. Um, empty wall space is like you know a sin. Um, <laughs> he certainly launched me into writing, encouraging me to write poetry. Me trying to. Tell her, mom, I'm not like you. I, don't, I can write an occasional poem, but I don't have to write. Until several years down the road, I did have to write, um, you know, and wrote a lot of poems. Um, do not compare to the master, but they were the best that I could do. And even my father uh, was really changed, transformed by her. What it required was him losing his leg and having to quit the garment business, uh, which was a real uh, drag of a business to be in that my father stayed in after the Great Depression in order to organize the workers. He was very political. Unfortunately, he's the only one who got organized into uh, really, uh, you know, a a kind of dismal working life. And my, my mother introduced him to the possibilities of sculpture and he became a passionate sculptor in his last years he was just starting mm-hmm. uh, the last years of my mother's life so you know she was she took care of us she launched us she um she found time to do her own work and writing just an incredibly dynamic person Whoever she was mm-hmm. she broadcast seeds of one kind or another in Little Croton. She started the Croton Review and the Croton Council on the Arts. It was just in her nature to do that. So
1: that's
4: my mother's background.
0: It's wonderful. Maria, do you remember how you met Ruth?
3: Yes, I do. Very much so. Ruth was a very important figure in my life, actually. Uh, I sent poems to the Proton Review and Ruth wrote me a note and said, I'd really like you to come to see me. Mm -hmm. And I was a typical sort of 1950s housewife. Um, I mean, I I was an adjunct too in teaching in colleges, but in many ways, I was a very conventional kind of person. And I never went anywhere without my husband. So Ruth said, come to see me. So Mm -hmm. I drove to Croton, which was a big deal for me because that seemed like very far away for me. Mm -hmm. And I got to Croton and I met your mother and um, we sat in her study and we sat together for about five hours. That had such a generosity Ruth had that it was as though she couldn't help but give away part of herself to other people and to encourage other people. And she said things that really helped me to see what, uh, where I was going wrong in my own poetry. And uh, she said, you know, read, go back and reread Allen Ginsberg's Kaddish and look at the kind of details she uses. No, His mother could be nobody else's mother. And so when you write about your father, it has to be your father, not anybody else's father. It can't be a generic father. It has to be very specific. And I drove home from her house, thinking about what she told me. And it took me about four years to fix that poem. <laughs> so, that ended up winning a lot of prizes, actually. <laughs> I'm thank saying thank for that. Uh, but, it, because she really taught me to think, look, Ginsburg, when he did Kaddish, do would you ever forget that bus ride he took with his mother who was raving, uh, taking take her to the madhouse, her, his father sending him with 17 years old with his mother to take him to her to the madhouse, you want to say, What the hell is wrong with you? But you never forget Gillingsburg's mother. And I think the same is true in Roose poems. There's a specificity in them, there's a liveliness in them. I always remember coming to her house. We became very good friends. And I would drive up, this was a big deal for me. I would drive up to Croton and we would have dinner or lunch. And then i probably lunch because I probably would have been afraid to drive home in the dark. And uh, (laughs) I've been all over the world since then. But I was a real little chicken, little Italian housewife. And um, so I, I, I was thinking all the way home about what she had told me. And I tried to revise my poem so that it would fit in with what she was telling me had to be done to make it really alive and really specifically my own. Um, I I remember that she had these capes that she would wear. Do you remember the capes? Yeah. She would come in with these red capes and she was always very dramatic and very full of life and very full of laughter and- uh, The big jewelry. What? The big jewelry. The big jewelry, yes. I mean, she just, she, you could not ignore Ruth. And she started the Croton mm-hmm. review. She brought people together for readings for the Croton review. I think that's where I met Maureen the first time. Um, and she seemed to me to be full of vibrancy and really intelligent and sharp and um, knew what she wanted to do and did it, even though that was not the thing to do then. You have to realize how much time has passed. I'm now 80. Don't tell anybody. But, you know, when you realize that, I was growing up in the 40s and 50s. She was growing up in the 30s and 40s. It was a whole different world for women. Women didn't go do things. You know, for me to go out, my husband got sick with Parkinson's disease 25 years before he died. And he's been dead 11 years. When he got sick, I had to make a decision. Was was I going to just stay home or was I going to continue to do what I've been doing, go out and do poetry readings, go all over the world doing poetry readings, or was I going to stay home? So I didn't stay home. I, in fact, got another job teaching at uh, SUNY Binghamton and became a full professor at SUNY Binghamton at the same time that I was running the Poetry Center. And then uh, I did a lot of readings and a lot of Uh, visiting professorships at different schools before I got a full professorship at uh, SUNY Binghamton. Um, And it meant I had to leave Dennis, my husband, behind in in many ways. Um, And I think he found that quite threatening, that one time I remember I was pulling out of the driveway and he's looking like a sack sack in the driveway, like, oh god, she's leaving again. Uh, But I felt that I had to save what I'd worked so hard to get for myself, which was this kind of independence, this ability to live a, a life that was satisfying. I know just what you mean about Ruth and what she wanted, because it's not that you don't love your children. I love my children to death. I love my grandchildren. I love my husband. But it. I hate to say it sounds so terrible, but it really wasn't enough. I needed I needed something that was just for me. So Ruth taught me that that was okay, because it was okay to want something just for your life itself, And that when she started that magazine, the quote and review, she really worked very hard on it. And it gave me the idea to start my own magazine. So I started my own magazine. Uh, I, I set up poetry readings. She set up poetry readings all the time. She tried to get people together to meet people so that they could form relationships and uh, and help one another with their work and also help one another to get better known as poets. I want to read just a little bit of one of Ruth's poems, if you don't mind. Sure. And it's called, What Were You Patching? Mm. Needling, threading, nighttime sewing machine from Odessa to Massachusetts. Ma, were you patching the world? Dead in your bed now, accurate as medical photography. Your arm is curved in grace, serene in rigor mortis and hair like wounds of silver. How do I pack up the house of your life? This inventory, so enormous, open papers, cartons like metal, mouths at my throat, offering no anesthesia while my eyes sink in the worst procedure following the coffin with its Jewish star. Driven to a lawn of cedar trees, I think you draped inside the, of you draped inside the brightest red shawl and dress save for special events. Barefoot with others, yet your posture clings to boxes of buttons, pins, stockings, and shoes outlining your walk. Your medicine medicines of aspirin, milk of magnesium, blue bottles, where half your teeth still soaked, saying nothing in a yellow coffee cup. Ma, ma, how do I re- arrange my new maturity? How I, do I arrange these details, the endless notebooks from English classes, How do I arrange the three branches of government you memorize for my country's correct answers, studying citizenship, citizenship, studying respect? And what do I do with aluminum pots scrubbed in communion, a polished and plants watered in Russian history with your stubborn desire to learn the syntax of America wrapped by your attachment to love, trapped by hugs and kisses on needlepoint trapped in chromosomes, trapped in passports from Odessa. My head freezes in your refrigerator, packed with food. Ma, ma, what were you passing? How do I answer forms in triplicate? Government departments want to know you. You become everybody's statistic now. Why, I carry your death certificate in my purse these days. The windows you cleaned last week for Passover shine along Van Cortlandt Park, blinding me like knives. The plants you watered and mortar dry. I keep wishing they'd die, wishing like a child you'd suddenly arrive, ringing my doorbell, demanding I'd be home on the spot, demanding in your red tamashanter, demanding in your bifocal glasses, demanding what life is really about. In the coolest week of April, dying in secrets of Tolstoy, Secrets of stanzas I search, shaped in visions of your face on pillows of work that hurt like a cottage. I stumble on, scratching, scratching, goose fetters across my eyelids, open now even in sleep. Ma, what were you patching? Is that an amazing poem? And I always read it to my students. I always start crying. Mm -hmm. And tears will be running down my face. Because I think she did in that poem just what she was trying to tell me to do. This could be nobody else's mother but hers. Right. And in a way, it's almost as though she's describing herself. Because that's what I think of her as this presence. This. She wasn't a tall woman, I don't think, but I'm a very short woman. So perhaps I, I, I don't remember correctly. But she was a big woman in other ways. She was big in spirit, big in desire, big in wanting to grab onto life and not let go and I yes. feel that her mother must have been the same way mm-hmm. uh, they, they might not have had opportunities that were given to other people but she formed opportunities for herself and watching her mother struggle I think she decided she was going to do something more than that she certainly did She really? influenced a lot of people she changed a lot of people's lives she right. certainly changed my life and really? I miss her to this day
0: Beautiful, Maureen. How are you doing?
5: I'm pretty emotional right now, so I could I tell. I really am. I'm not sure. Can <laughs> I can I just
4: say something while you
5: I, I pull yourself
4: together? That 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 poem was about uh, the grandmother I was closest to. Uh, she lived across the street from us. And it was for her that my parents were moving out of the city to get a house that had an in-law apartment
3: downstairs. Mm. I remember
4: it. Yes. And she, she died just before they, I think they had already gotten the house, but, uh, obviously, you know, like life intervened and she wouldn't be able to make that journey mm. with my, with my mother. Um, yeah, I know that that poem well. One thing I want to say, uh, just because you you kind of spoke about your academic career. One of the things that my mother really struggled with was the fact that she wasn't able to get a college education.
3: She didn't need one. She was really. <laughs> no, good. No.
4: Yeah, I felt the same way. But... Um, she felt a sense of inferiority about that. And that sense of inferiority was uh, amplified by some people in the academy, not what you call it, the academy, uh, you know, university poets who would kind of look down on people. I, I don't have a specific incident to relate, but who would generally look down on people who, you know, didn't find their home in the university and she she took a lot of courses with a lot of great poets but that really dogged her and really made me aware as she you know she was indomitable it it made her feel awful it made her feel inferior but she kept pushing onward at the same time she kept going. she didn't That's allow cool. it uh, to defeat her at all but it, It was at that time that I became aware that my romantic view of the world of poetry was a little naive, you know, that the world of poets is not necessarily the kindest world. (laughs) You know, everybody's very ego invested. Everybody's trying to get published. Um, She forged on, let's just say. Yeah, yeah.
1: She Marine. made a
3: space for herself, and it's not easy. Yeah. And and the thing with academic poets is that they tend to think only something is incomprehensible exactly. is um, is poetry.
1: Yeah. And I've
3: been <laughs> my whole life fighting against that. Yeah. Within academia. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I I think that it's important. To, to, for those of us who are in academia, yeah. to call out these people yeah. and their snobbishness and their elitist tendencies and their desire to make liter- literature something that's always only for five people, Ruth okay. and I agreed: literature is for everybody. Well, and, I think
4: I think it's gotten a little bit better. Maybe it's still it's still um, maybe I'm still still
3: very cutthroat.
4: Uh, yeah. At any rate,
3: um, Maureen.
0: <laughs> I wanted to I ask you, to... how did you how did you meet Ruth?
5: Um, I have to get up and go close that Okay. shade sure. behind me because there's a rainbow that's oh. shining right in my eye.
4: Yeah. Oh, sure, go ahead.
5: It'll take me a minute, a second, I promise. No sec. I promise.
4: You know, there was a little snippet my mother had on uh, her bulletin board
5: from a woman
4: I never met. But it said something like, it was like the beginning of a tribute to my mother. And it said, Ruth Lisa Schechter, dot, dot, dot. I actually never met her. She happened to me.
2: Maria,
5: is that what happened that, to you?
4: No.
5: <laughs> um, boy, it sure happened me, to me today. This is like amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Bill okay. and Maria, and of course, Dave, for organizing us. Into this little group. Um, I am, I'm still emotional. It's gonna be a little bit hard for me to talk, I think. But um, I mean, I knew I loved her, but this is like, whoa, just hearing all of this and bringing it all up for me. And, you know, I'm feeling more grateful than I can express, really, to her and her memory. Um, Maria, she loved the hell out of you. All I, I heard about her. <laughs> I heard about you from like day one with her. <laughs> I was always talking about you. So when I finally met you, it was like, what a thrill, you know, and mm-hmm. still a thrill actually. And um, and her boys. I did hear about her boys too. So lucky all of you, and um, lucky me. I um, I my we're talking about feminism and all this other stuff um, I got married at age 20 had two kids all through the 70s um, missed everything I missed Woodstock I was sad about the war I just I was just in my you know wifeness and, <laughs> <I liked him. laughs> and so so when he left me at um, when I was 30 it was like what? um really a shock but it was the best thing that could have happened to me obviously um well not obviously but it was and I immediately didn't know what was going to happen I had never written a check in my entire life like things like that it was really you know crazy and um through a lot a long series see this is dave why i don't remember anything about this period it was like crazy custody fight i mean it was just everything was insane and so i moved to croton on hudson um somewhere. i moved all over the place i moved out to chicago i moved to um we were in Tarrytown, ossning up and down the river but i finally moved to croton on huston with a boyfriend um who is not living anymore but I had started writing poetry the minute my husband left, the minute, I mean, the minute I just started writing. And someone said to me, that's, you know, that's too short. You're not gonna get that into a woman's magazine as a short story, that's a poem. And I was like, oh, kill me now. Um, I just had no, you know, nothing, I didn't, it was crazy. And I hadn't even, I hadn't at that point, I hadn't graduated from college yet. I quit college to get married. Anyway, long, long, long story. So I'm in Croton-on-Hudson. I'm writing. I'm writing like crazy. I mean, really, it just was like pouring out of me. I used to go to Sanasqua Park, uh, my favorite place in the world, and write little snippets. Go across the bridge. Write. Go home and, you know, do what I needed to do as a, as a girlfriend, at that point, and a mother. And um, and someone said, "Have you ever heard of the Croton Review?" I don't know who said that, but. Um, but it was all over town too. It was like kind of a, she was famous and, you know, among, I guess I went to the library a lot. I'm not sure how I first heard about Ruth, but I do know that at some point I called her and I said, um, do you ever take on students? You know, I just, I started writing a couple of years ago and um, I have, I've had no guidance. I am not going, not going to go to school for it. And she was like, come see me. So she took me into her study, you know, sitting, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <I love studying. laughs> and, um, and it was perfect. It was like, it really was um, you know, I've experienced relationships with my own students since then many times. And we just clicked, we really clicked and I loved her and, you know, she was the first person who said, yes, you are a poet. I I didn't know if I was. Um, and then she proceeded to see me once a week. I'm not sure how long I went to her. I, it was probably a couple of years. Um, I got involved in the Croton Review. I was a reader for the Croton Review and um, discovered that there's a, a lot of different kinds of poetry out there. I would never studied poetry. I was an English major in college, but but I was also a psychology major, which I thought I was, but I didn't really, I don't know. I was never an academic. I'm, I'm in academia, but I'm not an academic. Um, in fact, I have some poems about that, but because um, I know exactly what you mean. I, I recognized in Ruth somebody who was going to help me write like myself. I wanted, I wanted my own, she was, she was there to help my voice come through right and I didn't even know I had a voice much less you know was it was it academic was it what was it I had no idea um, it took me another 10 years before I needed to get an MFA because I was told by uh, the school where I was teaching not not where I am now somewhere in Chicago that um, if I if I got an MFA I could teach um, advanced poetry workshops and I was like how do i do that i want to do that i loved teaching i found that out um, so i went to a, a low res program which i'm sure ruth would have just loved you know it was meant for moms it was meant for women and men who had other things to do besides go to college which i hadn't uh, you know hadn't done
3: anyway um, sorry my phone oh I have- <laughs> I'm on every damn sucker list
5: <laughs> I know me too so the three things I wanted to say that she gave me I wrote them down um, were fearlessness in my writing she she really um, she insisted on it she insisted on it and I try I did it I did it for her and she also insisted on originality which uh, Maria talked a little bit about like, it's your mother, it's my mother, you know, it's mine. And um, I had a few images thrown in there and she was like, no, no, no. How can you say that in a different way? You're a poet. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? Like, okay. (laughs) And then I would go home and I would just work on these metaphors or images whatever they were. And I don't know why I didn't know that but she just helped me with that and I did it for her. Um, The last thing, well, she gave me a lot aside from that too. But the last thing I remember about what she gave me for my writing, I was putting together a manuscript, which for my first book, which she basically was there for through the whole thing. And um, I brought the manuscript to her and she said, why are these um, like really brave poems toward the back? Why Why aren't they at the beginning? And I said, because I don't want people to be turned off by, my harshness or my my courage whatever (laughs) no they go at the beginning you put the hard ones at the beginning and honestly Mm -hmm. you know after all the books that I've written at this point I never forget that and I tell my students that I've passed on everything I've learned from her Mm -hmm. um, to my own students Mm -hmm. and of course I dedicated my first book to her as well but um You know, this has just been a great opportunity for me, I I loved her and she was, and she was one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life as well. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that because I know Mm -hmm. she comes across as this like, you know, I'm tough and, Mm -hmm. and she had that which I needed. But there was a kindness and a love of, she loved poetry, she loved people, she wanted to help people, and she did. She really, yes, did. certainly uh,
1: did.
5: So thank sure. you for this opportunity.
0: Sure, I know you. Uh, you've been working on a, oh. a kind of a collaboration with her.
5: I did I? i be bro- sure to
0: have you here. read that because it's so nice.
5: Well, in her book Speedway, um, which is one of my favorites of hers, she has a book uh, for em- a book, a poem for Emily Dickinson, and it's called Perhaps Emily. Um, It's one of my favorites. I mean, I love all of these, but it's in memory of Emily Dickinson. And it's and it's start every line starts because, because, because. And I decided that um, I asked her, her spirit, if it would be okay if I collaborated with her on this. So I did last week. And um, the way the poem works out is the first part of the whole thought or sentence is Ruth's because and then I finish it and then I do another because and I do this for 14 lines so it's like a pseudo sonnet Mm -hmm. um, which I like better than real sonnets sometimes real sonnets and that's a Ruth thing too and um so it's so it's both of us and I call it a collaboration um because without her lines it never would have existed for me so I hope she likes it Mm -hmm. Here it is, it's called Perhaps Ruth, a collaboration with Ruth Lisa Schechter and her poem, Perhaps Emily. Because a continent can be a single tree, a single page can be a continent. Because the landscape listens, I stand beside the river and hear the sound of listening. Because blue jays arrive in pairs, the male jay keens beside his fallen mate. Because your songs return with blackberries, they sustain me through winter after winter. Because your apple trees turn into pageants, the one outside my window dresses up like Emily in white. Because the Japanese maple astonishes me, I am astonishable, my heart the unequivocal earth. Because your poems endure like the Hudson. I wave to you from Sanasqua, where my daughters will send my ashes back to the sea.
1: Wonderful.
5: Is Is that
3: poem published yet? I just wrote it. Okay. Would you like to send it to the Patterson Literary Review? I'd love to. (laughs) Of course. I would be honored. I
5: would be so honored. Thank you. you. Send it to me by email. Okay. I have your email. Thank you.
0: great. Wouldn't
5: ha- wouldn't have written it without this mm. you, yeah. This getting get together yeah. for Ruth awesome. or with Ruth.
0: So I uh, was one more thing I wanted to mention was the idea of poetry therapy was something that she was very invested in and I really haven't heard that much about it recently. I mean, does anybody have any idea if if that's something that continued after her or what the context I think of
4: that was. Does. you know i think at the time it was kind of revolutionary
1: yeah uh, and now
4: right. it's been incorporated in a lot of uh recovery programs of different kinds hmm. i found uh somewhere in my mother's papers just yesterday i was looking through a woman who had been involved in odyssey house who was a,
3: a client
4: struggling with substance abuse who talked about uh, the impact of my mother's poetry therapy on her, and hmm. how really a decisive factor in you know her recovery. Wow, so that was that was great to read, yeah, David. Thank you, you know, so much for uh, my pleasure. How did you get to know my mother? Because <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember your name from Thursday. This young guy.
0: Uh, I met her at the uh, Breadloaf Writers Conference, nineteen eighty-two. Okay, And, uh, yeah. you know, she just, you know, sucked me in and
1: mm. I never left. Okay.
0: <laughs> I helped her with the yeah. review. I did interviews for the review. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I had done an interview with John Gardner, the novelist, that year at Redloaf, And uh-huh. uh, so she wound up publishing that and other things that I did. So she That's... had a huge impact on me.
1: Awesome. You know her
4: papers are all at BU in the Mugar Library. They have a archive of 20th century writers. So uh, that was that was a great thing to know that her papers would be taken care of, and mm-hmm. her books were sent to various libraries, and um, you know this this website, which is not you know the most modern looking website, but it is nice to be able to send people a link and um, mm-hmm. you know, they can have access to her poetry. And so on. I know that yeah. would have been important to her. Uh, so yeah.
1: um, Maria
3: and Maureen. Well, I think this might've been important to her too, because oh, absolutely, you know that your memory lives on in yeah. people yeah. and that what you did influence them and influence yeah. their lives and influence yeah. their work would be very important to her oh I this think. would be hugely important hugely important uh she'd be I very i here in her red cape okay. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. yeah i want yeah. to see her we went to that diner down the street from your house
4: oh the croton diner oh, it yeah, feels <laughs> like her office away from home <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's an amazing place yeah Maria and Maureen, I mean, did you
0: have anything else you wanted to say about Ruth? I know we just sort of scratched the surface, but uh, it was really a beautiful memory. About as her. my
4: father would say, "It's all been said." <laughs> 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 my father didn't, <laughs> you know.
1: I
5: think I'm good. I.
4: We like ceremonies to be brief. So, but I really, I think in what people said, there were so many layers.
5: Yeah.
3: That. Uh, I think what we remember about her is no. her indomitable spirit. Yes. It was hard to believe that she actually died. And I think people like her don't actually die because they live on in us and in our work. So in our memories and in our work, we're not going to forget Ruth. Yeah. She's right. not a person who would be easily forgotten. So I love that about her. And seeing that little film clip made me re- remember more about her and that kind of energy that came off her. So I-, I feel very fortunate to have known her and to have called her a friend.
4: You know, um, at the time of my mother's death, my, my uncle was critically ill. So we get this call in the early morning. And I just said to my wife, Oh, my uncles died. No, it was my mother.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So I flew down to Croton. That was a terrifying flight. Um, and S- Sandy and the kids uh, were gonna join me that Monday. So I came in, she had appointed me literary executor. She already had the boxes pretty much packed for BU there's still a little work to be done. Trying to get her study together. Um, and as I'm cleaning up her study, I said, You know, this is just not like my mother to have left without leaving me some kind of note. This is, crazy. I don't know why I would have that expectation. I mean, she was ill before she passed away, she was making a slow recovery. But I was like, No, this is, there has to be a note somewhere here. Could not find the note. Yeah. A day later, maybe two days later, Sandy and the kids come to Croton. And she says to me, You got a letter from your mother.
2: She, oh, wrote,
4: she, wrote, it. she wrote the letter the day before she died.
0: Oh my goodness.
4: And it arrived in Brookline, you know, a couple of days later. So I was like, Yep, I knew. Um, you know but she would leave she would leave instructions <laughs> it was it was like mystical you know yeah like, such a i had an expectation that had no justification you know no basis and yet
3: i felt like she will do this i know her
1: <laughs>
3: but she would want to make sure it was done right <laughs> yes exactly so,
4: beautiful handwriting beautiful note um at any rate, it was quite, quite a punctuation mark.
0: Maureen, did you have one more thing you want to say?
5: Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I feel like I want to read every single one of her poems in Speedway to you, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, but I don't know. I just want to say thank you to Ruth. And um, I, would, I really would not be who I am, I, who I am, mm-hmm. not where I am, what I am. But who I am, if it wasn't for her, Mm. that's a pretty big deal.
4: I think the four of us can join in that sentiment. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yes. I was just going to say that. It's a beautiful thought.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, everybody. Really, really appreciate your time today. And uh, Thanks
3: for pulling this together. More than I could have expected.
0: So thank you for making it so special.